At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You're listening to the Chasin Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, I am on the line with a special guest. This is one that uh, I have I have been looking forward to having on the podcast to talk with you guys. His his very name in the Michigan Whitetail Woods just strikes fear down the spine, cold chills down the spine of every button buck and basket rack deer that you could ever see. He he voluntarily holds the moniker of world's worst bow hunter. You may know him from his world famous podcast, the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast. Adam Miller, dude, what is going on in your world? You know, I have a day off today, and I thought, what better way to spend it uh, than talking to my favorite short little red-haired <laughs> ginger swamp donkey, uh, Walter. So, um, and he, just so the the listeners know, we were supposed to do this uh, over the weekend, but he decided that. Um, he'd never get stuck. He wanted to go out on, uh, you know, <laughs> do some public land, give back to, you know, the community, create content for his audience. And, uh, he left me kind of high and dry, even completely forgot about me. Um, and then he's like, what, what, what were we supposed to do? So, um, you know, I'm just so grateful he could pencil me in, um, <laughs> Oh. And stop me if any of this is untrue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think the the stark difference between uh, you and I is I shower you with uh, with with praise and, and an intro, and then you just air all my dirty laundry out there. So uh, appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> hey, full transparency over here at the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the truth for sure. Um, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, Adam and John run a podcast over there, a real tight ship. It's a great, great show. In all seriousness, um, what is really remarkable about Adam and what he does is he is unflinchingly rigid in his belief that he should be fully transparent in all things. And uh, I think it comes through in his how genuine his podcast is, and, and uh, it, it kind of captivates you because you, you're always kind of wondering what's he going to admit to next. And John obviously does as well, and... Um, but, uh, I, I enjoy listening to your show for the, for the listeners who we have a lot, we have a huge Southeastern, uh, base who may not be familiar, uh, with who you are. Why don't you tell them a little bit about, uh, your podcast? Yeah. I mean, it's, I was just thinking about that recently is it's, it's so odd and so incredibly humbling, um, that, you know, we're just two guys from Michigan that, you know, way back when, uh, right before the podcast boom started and, and we were, you know, admittedly part of that, just 
because of timing, but um, you know, we just felt like that we were underrepresented and by we meaning um, guys that don't kill big deer guys that don't kill every year guys that, that struggle um, guys that are like trying to figure it out. We don't have big, um, big ag. We don't have, you know, all the food plots. We don't have, um, you know, we don't name deer. We don't have big feeders and, and, and all this stuff. I mean, we really just kind of take what we can get and um, we just, we just didn't feel like there was anybody out there. And now, you know, that's everybody's platform because everybody says, you know, you know, it's cool. Anybody can have a podcast. And, um, but at that time we started and um, just really didn't know what we were doing, but we decided if we could have, you know, good enough, like audio quality that people could like actually stick around and listen um, that they would, and they'd get a chance to kind of get our personalities and uh, kind of grow with us as hunters, like um, myself being the main um, guy that needs to do all the growing. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, if, if, if you, if, if, if you start a, a platform and you try to put yourself up on a pedestal, I mean, people are going to see through that real quick. You know, it, there is a, an element of like fake it till you make it. But at the same time, I mean, I think that that is more of like, um, like creating a podcast. So, so I have to figure out how to get this from my phone to a recorder, to a online, to, to all that stuff. Um, so that's what I can figure out, but I cannot, like, you can't fake, you know, going out in the woods and, you know, these, these deer, they're, they're trying to survive, you know, so you can, you can, you know, talk out of your rear end as much as you want to, but you know, people are going to see right through that. So, you know, we just are completely genuine, you know, my co-host John is like a mechanical genius. Like he makes our own bow strings just from scrap that he had laying around in his garage. He built himself a jig. I mean, he's got a bow press, uh, works up at the local shop. You know, he's a wizard when it comes to building bows, tuning bows. That's what he really likes to do. I more like to dabble in all of the gear and stuff like that. But um, in that, none of that's helping us kill deer. Um, so, um, we, we've, we've kind of, uh, gravitated towards these consistent killers that are doing it, you know, quote unquote, the hard way, you know, Michigan super pressured. Um, so we're, we're looking at guys that, you know, kill consistently, um, in, in and out of the state of Michigan and around the country. Um, and, you know, we're starting to venture out on some DIY elk hunts and John was out antelope hunting and, you know, just, um, all of these things to kind of show people that, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to kill a 150 every year and you don't have to, um, be embarrassed if you kill a four point, you don't have to, um, you know, be afraid to start bow hunting because of what social media tells you that it's supposed to be. Um, you know, we just, you know, we just have fun and cut up and, you know, we made some really good friends and, uh, you know, I guess, that's what kind of drives the whole thing is kind of just to, to show people that, you know, hunting should be fun. Right. 
Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, you, you, you teased me in the beginning, and, and this is true, guys. He he did reach out and say, hey, I wanted to start a podcast, and I told him not to. And it wasn't because I didn't believe in his idea. I just felt like there was this weird – it wasn't weird. It was a real thing. There was this unbelievable surge in the podca- hunting podcast area. And even in that moment, I was finding it very hard to um, – I don't want to make this sound competitive, but like fight for a market share. And I don't mean that like I wanted to take Adam's listeners or anybody else, but it was one of those things where it's like, you know, if the the, – the, and Adam, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the hunting community podcast listener base is very small. It, it's not like the, the, the viewership of YouTube or any of the other platforms or the consumption uh, where you can consume media – and so, like, for me, my advice to him was, you know, don't do it. Wait a little while. A lot of these podcasts will fall off. When they fall off, then, the you know, things will get normal again. And, and you know, true to his hard-headed nature, he, he forged forward. And he, I mean, your podcast is, is doing awesome, man. I'm, I, it's cool to have the friendship because you've, you've continued to push me um, in my view of the podcast and my offerings and what I could do. And you constantly, you're the first person to reach out and say, dude, your podcasts are too short. Like just as I feel like they're getting good, you need to increase the length, you know, like it, you're, you're, you're selling yourself short. And so uh, I started this podcast uh, largely to make friends because it's sometimes hard to make good friends in the hunting community. And, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, you're one of them. Yeah. I mean, if it's one of those funny things where, you know, my wife is like, oh, is that your internet pal? You know, have you ever met him in real life? You know, does he want to wear your, your skin as a hat? Like, I'm like, I don't know. He's only like four foot tall. I think I could whip his ass, but um, like, I'm not too concerned about it. Um, but really, I mean, I feel like, and, and I think this is true. Like if you're going to do something like this, yes, this is 100% self-serving i mean i get to talk to cool people i get to learn i get to bounce ideas off of people and i get to i get to grow and i get to be challenged um and by doing a podcast i mean ultimately you have the 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 greatest um sense or the greatest tool for accountability because if you say something and you've got people that are vested in you that hey we're going to do this well by god you better do that or you know it's not going to you know your, your, your tenure isn't going to be very long. Um, so I think with that, you know, forging those friendships and trying to learn, like for me is like, I think we all are in different places, whether it's hunting or podcasting or, you know, building a business or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you only have so much time. I mean, I've got, I've got so many ideas that I can do that I can't maybe implement, or maybe they're going to be, you know, so far down the road, but you know, I can see where you're at and say, Hey man, this is what you need to be doing. Like, this is what's worked for me, or this is what's not worked for me. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, because I think this will be a little, little bit better for you and it's a better Avenue, but uh, the competition aspect of it, I, I mean, I can't make anybody listen to my podcast any more than I can make anybody not listen to yours. So, I mean, th- there's, no, I don't see it as any sort of like uh, competition with anybody. I think it's like, if you don't like my style or, or whatever, um, you know, there's somebody out there that's, that's going to be able to, to speak to you. But I think, um, you know, by, by being the world's worst bow hunter, by admitting all of my failures, by talking about all of the screw ups, um, it, it makes you more human in a sense of it's like, it's like, 
well and i say it a lot of times on my intro but it's like you know you know tell somebody about the podcast tell somebody what you like tell somebody what you didn't like or tell somebody look these guys really suck and we're better than them we've been talking about doing this start your own podcast you know, do your own thing <laughs> i mean it, it's just the easiest way to put it i i think also it is a very difficult thing um not to drive like a wedge between group parts of the community, right? So you talked about how you saw there was an underserved group of people who struggle with hunting either poor areas or they're poor hunters themselves or a combination of both like me. And so I've always found it interesting how easy it was for you to navigate um, representing a group of people who feel rep- underrepresented, including yourself, and then also uh, not doing it in a divisive way, which I feel like is the easier of the two in in the sense that both it's easy to simply like create a little community, but it's also, you know, you, you create maybe a more rabid fan base initially, but long-term it's, it's damaging. I've always thought it was interesting how you go about this like unflinching. I keep saying that word, but it is like who you are. I want to know more. I'm just going to share it as I go and hopefully it benefits you as well. And obviously it is. Well, I just view everything like, especially when I'm talking to guests or like, you know, like these high level guys, like they, sometimes they forget what it's like to, to not know something or, you know, or, you know, they want to let their egos or something get in the way. So I got to like, you know, tongue in cheek, bring it back. I'm like, Hey man, I don't know shit. So <laughs> let's, let's just pretend that, you know, I, I've never done that. And it was funny because I forget who I was talking to. It was like, Oh, when I was talking with, uh, Brandon Egan, which is like, you know, local Michigan guy kill. I mean, he think he killed like four P and Y bucks, um, you know, two in Michigan. Well, he killed one in Michigan and one, the other one was like a five-year-old deer that had one side broke off. Um, and then killed a giant in Kansas and then killed one in Ohio, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, he was going through this and I'm like, remember I'm the world's first bow hunter. You gotta, like, he's like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. And it wasn't like, Oh no, you're not that bad or anything. He was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. You suck. So, um, let's, uh, let's take it back a step. But I always look at things from the listener's perspective, like, because ultimately that's who's benefiting from this. It's like, no, uh, while it's cool to be a fly on the wall and to be able to sit there and listen to a conversation between, you know, guys that are, that are, killing the the problem with podcasts is and i feel like and i've had a lot of these comments and stuff over the years um but when when people tell me that they're like yelling into their headsets or they're um you know they're they're shaking their head or they're right along with you or they're like saying i wish i could have asked this question then i know that i've engaged them right but i'm just trying to i'm trying to answer those questions that need to be need to be asked so i don't want things to be glossed over just because i'm um you know either i know what they're talking about or um i don't want to sound like an idiot um so i have no problem being self-deprecating and saying whoa, whoa, whoa wait i'm <laughs> dumb here let's 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 check this out <laughs> have you ever as you've progressed through this have you ever felt um a pressure to conform to like certain standards, i.e., you know, you're in year three, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So have you ever felt like you should be killing bigger deer now and that your, your standpoint is going to be eroded per se, if you don't start? No. Cause I mean, that doesn't drive us, you know, I, that doesn't matter. I mean, honestly, if you look at our podcast, 
like over the 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 and this is we did 18 19 20 so this is actually this is going into the fourth year um but um but i'm the only one that's killed i mean i think frank maybe killed a five point or an eight point or something and for guys that don't know so my father-in-law is like he was in the industry like worked at the the local pro shop you know right when it switched over from traditional to to compounds and um he was uh hunting for food uh when he was a kid i mean he was in the in the area that we're in uh he his house when he was like a young child was the last uh house in in town that had a dirt floor and outdoor plumbing and stuff so i mean he was hunting for food um so you know uh at that time you know, maybe ethics be gone. Uh, so we've, we've seen both, both sides of the, the spectrum, um, on that. And obviously, you know, that's one of the, oddly enough, and again, full transparency here is one of the things where I got to tell these guys like, Hey man, like you can't do that. Like whether it's like screwing stuff into trees or like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, well, we could just shoot them right here and then do that. Like, look, man, we can't do that. Uh-huh. Like we, you know, people are out to get you. So like, <laughs> you know, um, but, but that being said, I mean, I'm looking around my basement right now and over the time that I've started this podcast, I have progressed as a hunter and I am killing bigger deer, but I don't really care what other people think. You know, I want to have fun and I want to do what I want to do. I mean, last year, two years ago, uh, I killed a four point on camera and I said on the podcast, I really didn't want to do that. I didn't, I don't think that I, I think maybe I was falling more prey to like what I, not what I thought, but like what I know. So I know that you need to let little bucks go to get bigger bucks. And I know that. Um, but I had to come to the realization in my head that like, I don't get that many opportunities and where, what am I doing, you know, passing deer when I haven't, I don't have a, a wall full of bucks. I don't have, you know, that isn't necessarily for me. And then I've never killed a deer on camera. I had a cookie cutter opportunity. Why am I carrying all this stuff in the woods? If I'm going to pass on deer that I, you know, maybe shouldn't be passing or, or, or whatever. Um, so, so in my mind, like, I don't, I don't have any pressure. I, I only put pressure on myself to get better. Um, is all I'm like, I mean, I killed a great buck this year, uh, that felt pretty empty really, because I didn't do it like it in the way that I wanted to do it. So there wasn't any pressure about like, Oh, is this deer big enough or, or whatever? Um, it's just like, I want to progress. And I felt like that was just like the deer God said, here you go. The, here's the easy one. And you know, I don't, I don't like the easy side of it. I guess that might be the only re the only way that I, uh, I guess pressure that I feel, I guess, is on myself to become better and better doesn't necessarily mean killing a bigger deer. It just means, you know, kind of pushing myself further. So you don't, you don't feel industry pressure. Like, you know, the people that work that you work with, they don't give a dang what you kill. If you kill it. If they work with me, they know that this is the way that we do things. Yeah, it's funny, though, because there is like an industry. Maybe you haven't felt it. Maybe you're insulated from it, or maybe you you just don't care. But there is like this expectation, I feel like, that's out there, this undercurrent of, 
okay, I'll give this person enough time to establish themselves, but at some point they have to, you know, start proving themselves and what they do. And so, like, I get a lot of messages sometimes, and I'm a lot like you, right? Like, I've got the reason why I do what I do, and, and that's independent of the podcast. The podcast is just a reflection of who I am. And I, I think that a lot of times it's funny. I think I think it's self-induced in a lot of ways, and I think it's also kind of like this archaic like aging component of the hunting industry. I hate saying that. I hate the, I hate the idea that, that like what you and I do is the hunting industry because it feels so corporate, but like it used to be, you had to kill a bunch of big deer and, and you're seeing a shift where you can just be yourself and document and have fun and have good conversations and, and provide more value than a kill shot. Um, but there's still this undercurrent. And I think people get in trouble when they start like saying, this is how you should do X, which is why I've always tried to say, this is what I've done, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to hunt funnels in Florida and, and then try and go shoot a video and show you what a funnel looks like and what I'm doing because it's not going to make that connection. But if I document those and say, this is what I think this is, this, you know, here's a camera. I'm going to show you whatever I pull off this camera. We're going to have a good time with it. Um, then I think it sets it up for um, a connection that that's sustainable long term. But people, I killed two bucks this year. This is my best year of all time. Two bucks on public land in two different states, both of which I'm, deer I'm very proud of. Um, neither of which are anywhere near my personal best, just for perspective. And when I killed the first one, everybody's like, "Oh, I bet that feels good to get the monkey off the back." I'm like, "Yeah, but like not because of the podcast, you know, like because I had been on a five year drought because of family and work and a variety of other factors. And then when I killed the second one, I had a buddy of mine reach out and he's like, man, you really validated the podcast this year. And and at first I was like, yeah, I guess I have. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, if that's what validates who I am, then I, I need to like be self-reflective. Like I need to take a, a step back and be like, am I really like doing what I wanted to? And, and I think I have, um, but I, I think it's easy to get swept up in that is my point. Yeah. Not, not for me. Uh, right. I mean, my, so it, it's just, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel zero pressure about that because like at, at no point in time, um, have we ever said like we kill big deer, right? Like, we kind of pride ourselves on killing little deer. Um, I mean, and 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 and, and that sounds laughable, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, is like, like pick, uh, like where you say that you're like feeling pressure or whatever. Like, uh, name name a company that you think you would feel pressure about killing big deer from. Um, I don't know if I want to do that. Put people out there on blast, but like, uh, come here, deer. Okay, that's an odd one. <laughs> I, I never used that product in my life. I, I did uh, when I was a kid. I won't. I'll own um, up to it. <laughs> but um, maybe I had like when I was a kid. I I don't know. But um, so it, from that perspective, right? If you, uh, I, I think their whole goal would be to uh, bait and switch. Right. So look at old, you know, Joe over here who, you know, has this big area that has all this stuff. You know, you put Kamir deer down, he kills this buck and he puts it, it, it's jug of, you know, red goop in front of this deer. 
but he'd have killed that deer anyways because it was still coming into that same corn feeder at that same time. He's been doing that for the last three years. Um, but who is their like audience and like who is Joe's audience and who is that? I mean, that might be the one percent or two percent of the guys that are actually using that product and killing things where the rest of the people aren't killing shit or they're you know they're like what the heck man these deer aren't growing they're only six points and four points well i want i still want to shoot my deer i still want to have fun um you know i just don't think that goes back to the like underrepresented thing you know all those basket eight points are what drives the hunting industry you know that's that's what keeps people coming back that's what you know that's what started the grip and grin i mean that you know um, so so to say like man i need to kill a bigger deer well first of all there has to be a bigger deer there for me to kill um and second um you know uh, uh, unless that product or those people or whatever are paying me a ton of money like it doesn't really matter what's more important to me is like the audience and feeling like like it's okay like it's it's you know those are those are things that are are better you know that, and i i've told you this before like you know and it it, it seems uh, this gets into like the weird like monetization portion of the, the podcast or whatever but like i don't think that the industry is going to be what is is going to pay you or i um, you're going to be paid for being a creator, for cultivating some sort of a movement or group or finding your following in your fan base and, and, and all of that. So I think that those things are more important than the industry because, I mean, my God, guys, um, what is the date today? So if you go back to like, if you if you go back to like our episode, like from like February 1st and go like about an hour in, um you're gonna see uh you know kind of the ins and outs of the the industry from that big buck uh killer side of it and you know that's just not a place <laughs> i think you can agree that you want to be in you know you can i could you could kill all the big bucks in the world but if it just brought drama and and trouble right i, I don't think i'd want any part of it <laughs> Well, let's go back to your buck that let you down. I'm curious. I, the moment you said something like it didn't feel fulfilled or something like that, you and I um, have very candid conversations about a lot of things, um, and we'll, we'll get to one of those in a minute. Um, but I, I'm curious. What wh- let's let's preface this with what makes a hunt uh, a good hunt for you with, with regards to like obviously killing an animal. Uh, validation, you know, like like for me. Um... I think like to to me it is the like kind of doing it on my own like like learning like progressing like again like so you find a place on a map you go there sign looks good you go there you see a deer you you know you you adjust you make some moves like whatever um and it you know now I'm learning now I know that I did that on my own I I have actually learned I have actually you know, progressed. Like I feel like in most situations, most of us, um, and I would say, you know, your listeners, my listeners, it doesn't really matter. Uh, put a deer in front of you at 20 yards, you're going to kill them. Right. I mean, 
you're you're out there you've put in the work you know that's it's kind of like a gimme right so um in this case this is a spot where we hunted last year um uh, my father-in-law his hunting partner found it just i mean we he used to hunt back and near there in those days um like way back in the day i've killed deer out there around there i killed my first deer you know 300 first deer with a bow uh 300 yards from there maybe 400 yards something like that um i killed my biggest buck in michigan 500 yards from there but just a different different spot different scenario um this spot like i don't remember if it was before we went elk hunting or after but we went in there and did a john eberhart speed tour looked at all the sign kind of looked at where everything was um assessed it saw where the the tree was that i killed the deer from last year um adjusted picked where i wanted to be and then you know i don't remember whether we went elk hunting or two weeks later we went and hunted well like literally opening day my father-in-law and his buddy went in there my father-in-law missed missed an eight point um his buddy uh tagged out shot two he shot a 100 inch maybe maybe slightly less eight point um then he shot a five point that was the same age it just didn't have as many points on it. i mean you know good mass good everything it wasn't a it was a, a two and a half three-year-old five point it was i mean it just had a weird kind of rack and so you know i don't know three four days later they're like well you know there were more deer in there just go in there and, and hunt so i went and went in and set up where I had wanted to sit, you know, when we did our scouting, like I picked an area where I said, okay, this is where I can cut off both of these trails. And, uh, wind was suspect, but it was like minimal. And there was a, there's a, like a thermal draft that's there all the time. So that was going to help me. Um, and, he said, okay, well, yeah, everything's done because these deer are going from feed to bedding. And uh, because it was super early in the year, they they weren't bedding deep in. They were bedding. I mean, this is it's probably half a mile, three-quarters of a mile from the feed. Um, but they usually go, they would go another, you know, quarter of a mile, half a mile past where I was hunting later in the season. So everything happens well before it gets daylight um, later in the season. But being early in the season, you know, they're going to get here by about nine o'clock. So if nine o'clock rolls around and you haven't seen anything, your day's over. Well, I had one little buck skirt through the thick edge behind me, and I thought that my day was over. I'm sitting there looking at my phone, looking at the time, and I just glanced up and I just saw a rack. And uh, so I flipped on all the cameras, and the deer kind of looked around for a while, decided it was safe, walked in 17 yards, and as I generally do, I shot him in the neck um, because if you listen to my podcast, that's my uh, go-to <laughs> shot. Uh, this deer was, uh, you know, quartering, quartering to um, walking. I never stopped him or anything. Um, and I shot him just above the front shoulder on the on his right side and it exited right out the pocket on the other side. Um, and he ran off and, of course, you know, uh, the last – well, all the other deer that I'm talking about here, um, the deer that I killed last year the, or the year before, 
he went a hundred yards. I shot him perfect, but I didn't get a pass through because I, well, I passed through and broke the femur on the other side and then kind of bounced out. So the arrow was still in him, but I'm used to seeing him just pile up. I mean, they've been, and this deer tore out of there and I actually, I'm pretty sure I saw him fall, but I was so, you know, excited. I thought I made a bad shot. Like it was, it was a good buck for sure. Um, so yeah, he went 90 yards and he was laying there dead. So it was cool. I got it on video, but like I said, it, it wasn't like, I mean, yes, I did a little bit of scouting and figured out where I wanted to be. And it was, it was, I mean, cookie cutter perfect, but it wasn't my spot. I didn't figure it out. I didn't, you know, I had no idea that that deer was there or whatever. Um, so it was just like, we were just like, oh, there's a deer at 20 yards. I'll shoot him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what, what goes like, so if you had to describe, if someone were to say, you know, like paint the picture with all the different factors, obviously, like I'm not talking like bluebird sky and, you know, middle of the rut, but like when you look at for you to feel fulfilled, like what does that look like does it have to be on camera does it have to be like a a a degree of struggle on the hunt before then what what makes that like that baseline setup of what a hunt is to you well i mean it's it's not necessarily that but but it's definitely not the video and it's definitely not killing um so uh, it's 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 just like putting myself in the position so like I was at full draw on a bigger buck than this later in the year. And I went to another spot where, you know, it was my father-in-law's normal spot. And I'd seen these deer and I could have killed some does. I had a small buck in front of me, but this bigger buck was out there running around. So over the next like four days, I progressively kind of like, you know, as the Dan in faults and whatever, like stage hunted it. So I, went to where I had seen him before. And then I just kind of kept working my way back in there. And I mean, I should have killed this deer. I certainly, I mean, it was just, I, I gave him too much opportunity to get away and he did. So I was on the downwind side of betting. Um, I'd killed a buck back in there a couple years prior. I was, uh, I didn't know how they, he was using this, but I just knew I was on the downwind side of bedding. And this is where I'd seen a bunch of deer and I was in a stupid tree. There was a triple and I'm right-handed. So my bow was all the way on the outside edge of the triple all the way to my left. And so I would have had a shoot in between the middle being in a saddle with the tree in front of you with the bridge in front of you. I would have had to go underneath and through and then shoot through this window. And then if I couldn't get a shot or something didn't happen right there, I would have had to do all of that. And he would have been even closer. And that would have been like at about 35, 40 yards. I could have shot him. So as soon as he crossed through that window, I drew back and well, what do bucks do when they're in the downwind side of bedding? Well, they're checking for does where there were does in there. So he took off into the bedding area two steps before he would have stepped past this tree where I could have shot him. So, I mean, that to me was, I put the pieces together to get to where that deer was. I kind of predicted what was going to happen. I went there. I used all of the stuff that I knew to get back in there where it was. Um, same story, like uh, two years ago when I was in Missouri, I could have shot a buck 
very similar to the buck that I killed this year. And I kind of kicked myself for that because that would have, if I would have, if I would have had the camera set up, I would have shot him on video, but that's just, that's just me being stupid. Like I should have just killed him. Um, and, um, but that was, you know, a spot that I'd never been to looked at it on a map, figured it out, like by the sign that was on the ground, got up a tree. And as soon as I got up a tree, I mean, here's a, hundred ditch eight point making a scrape rubbing you know 30 yards away broadside for 20 minutes um and so to me it's that like validation of you know being able to look at something go in i mean it's just like a personal growth thing like it's telling me that i'm doing the right things that you know the like i say put a deer in front of me at 20 yards you know chances are i'm gonna I'll, i'll probably shoot him in the neck but i'll kill him anyway um, that's the, the, the nuts and the bolts of it, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because I think it's obviously different for every person. Um, I, I have evolved this upcoming year to wanting to feel, um, kind of like I called my shots, right? Like I, I'm not going to not shoot a deer because I went in blind to an area picked a tree and hunted right like in the dark or something like that like i'm not going to feel disappointed about that but if you're if you're were to ask me the same question say just like peak like what is your peak uh what things have to happen for it to be just like that out of this world memorable if i feel confident going in and i feel like i can call why it's going to happen if the animal dies very very quickly um it needs to be in a natural environment i don't for me um and i'm again not judging because I've done this myself in the past, but killing something over a corn pile feels like killing, doesn't feel like hunting. Um, so that that public land adventure component has to have an adventure behind it. Um, and then for me, this is where we differ, I really, really prefer to have it on film. Just because I'm such a visual person that in the hot summer months, which we have a lot more of than you, and I'm stuck inside... I really like going back and reliving those memories visually because the memory fades as time goes on. And when you have that 1080 HD video to, to look at, I mean, you can't forget the details, you know, you can't forget what, what, you know, how dark his head was versus the Florida deer that you shot or, or, you know, how weird it was that the base that, that he, he had bark in his antlers in the slow mode. You're never going to forget that, 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 that deer was rubbing that tree right before you, you shot him and stuff. So for me, they, you know, it, it's different, and neither are correct because they're both correct for each of us, but it always fascinates me what, what makes that ideal hunt for people. Well, I just think, like, it's it, it's just like a personal growth thing. I mean, like, the reason I hunt is not to, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, we love eating venison, and my, my daughter's like a rabid venison you know, eating machine, but, you know, we don't need to hunt for food. We don't, I don't get my jollies off of killing stuff. Um, It's just like this challenge to, you know, put all the pieces together. And it's kind of like the same way, it's the same reason why, you know, I've had guys say, hey, you know, come on over here, I'll put you on some deer or, or, you know, the same thing right now we're going through with turkeys, like, you know, we had to figure out what our seasons were and like private land versus public land. And like, I don't, it doesn't really excite me to go into a spot where the turkeys are roosted. They fly down right above you and you kill them. 
because we can only kill one turkey in Michigan. So then that's your season. That's done. Um, I like the cat and mouse. The I, I like the hunt of it. And so I think the same thing is true. Like with deer hunting is like, I would rather, I would rather have that element of suck and the element of like accomplishment. Like it isn't, it isn't killing the deer. That's like, cause then it's over, you know? If that makes any sense. No, it, <laughs> like... it, it makes total sense because I think, I think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people would say it's about the kill, right? Like you're obviously there for the kill. And I think for some people that's probably true, but I think the, the hunt, the kill is, is a, a possible outcome and a rarer, rarer possible outcome of the pursuit of that animal. It it the hunt of that animal that cat and mouse I called it adventure you called it cat and mouse we're saying the same thing in, in a lot of ways here is you know that 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 pursuit of 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 becoming a predator of being being opportunistic of 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 critically thinking and trying to figure out why that deer is where it is that cat and mouse that adventure that hunt ends numerous different ways user error deer decides just to go the opposite direction deer blow you know catches catches you. Uh, trying to make a move or it ends in a hunt and a lot of times or um, uh, a punch tag a kill and I think the reason why it's easy to focus on that kill is because it's the rarer outcome of the hunt and it obviously comes with a different rush but dude some of my best memories are when you know I didn't quite get an opportunity I will never forget the time that I grunted in my first big buck he came in downwind up uh, upwind of me directly behind me i was on the ground the joker was like six feet behind me and i had to try and i mean he was gonna i mean he was gonna see me he's gonna walk out behind the tree i missed the deer i tried to force a shot through two trees hit the tree missed the deer that is one of my all-time like top five outdoor hunting memories and it doesn't end in a kill that cat and mouse on the ground with a bow calling him in I knew he was going to be where he was based on the sign that I saw. I made a, a prediction that he'd be working down this ridge towards bedding area in the Georgia mountains, and it played out, and that memory burns in my head, and it's got nothing to do with the harvest. <laughs> That's funny because, like, um, a couple things. So one of the things I wanted to say in there is it's kind of like for me, um, you know, I say that uh, I'm the world's worst bow hunter, and, like, I'm becoming to – realize that that's really disingenuous and like because we've got a lot of listeners that you know are trying to kill their first deer with a bow they're trying to kill their first buck they're trying to you know everybody's in a different place um but when you're talking about like the takeaways from hunt like you know if if every hunt ended in a kill then you know we wouldn't hunt as much as we do it wouldn't be as exciting as it is um and so like for me like one of the things that i always try and tell people is like especially for those new guys that are learning and and granted i'm learning as well but you got to learn something from every hunt so you got to take away the positives whether it's you got up the tree quietly you didn't forget anything you didn't drop anything um you you saw a deer you you know you had deer within range you know you saw a buck um you know, you got to take things like whatever positive you can and then then build on that. Um, but when you say like the, your memories that didn't end in a gill, um, like so one of the last probably the last two or three deer that I killed with a with a rifle. And this is I mean, we're going back like probably 10 years or so. Um, 
but I hunted in our property up in the UP, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, for you guys that are in the South and you don't know what the heck a UP is. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I did the same thing. Like I so I went out on this ridge, and uh, you know our gun season falls like right in the middle of the rut, and I took a climber, went up in a place where nobody ever hunted, and they said. The guys at the camp said, you know, you're not going to see anything. Nobody ever sees anything up there, you know, and then we have a four on one side rule or three on one side rule there. Um, just self-imposed. Now that was before that's the law now, but this was prior to that even. And so I had a doe come by me and then I had a smaller buck spike and then I had another spike. And then I had this like really weird six point come by me um, or seven point mutant um, you know, just an ugly, ugly deer. And, uh, I didn't shoot it because it wasn't what I wanted to shoot. You know, it was just cool being in that experience. I went back to camp and I got roasted. I got called a liar. I got called all these things, you know, cause I didn't shoot this deer just because it met the criteria. Um, but that was me putting myself in the right spot. And so the last day of that hunt, and I, I was basically the only one that was seeing deer because I was being mobile and I wasn't sitting in these canned spots where there's shooting shacks and all of this, where, you know, people had bait out and, you know, they were likely, you know, the deer were figuring out that there was somebody there, but I went down into the swamp, found myself the same, same situation and had a nice basket buck of some sort chasing a doe that ran right by me i mean we're talking like less than 10 yards away down this creek but i couldn't count his points to shoot him so i shot the doe and i was elated i mean you talk about like that quick kill i shot this deer i could only see like the front like shoulder and her head and everything so i shot her <laughs> right in like the point of the brisket um and she ran like maybe 40 yards and fell over but her heart was laying on the ground um when she fell over because it blew off the point of that brisket and like detached everything. So her organs were laying outside oh of God. her body. And I got again, ostracized for that. Like, you know, why didn't you shoot that buck? You know, you, it was probably big enough. I'm like, well, I didn't, I wasn't counting points, man. I didn't know it was, you know, a decent buck. I shot a deer. I was just, just as excited to just have, you know, killed a deer and, you know, that's one of those memories for me that, you know, I was putting myself in the right spots even at that time, but it didn't meet somebody else's expectations. You know, it was just, it was just such a weird, a weird thing hunting. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's an, it's an ambiguous and hard to define thing it's it's ambiguous isn't the right word it's um almost amoeba like right like there's almost a matrix of things that can be hit that that can be touched on to make something unique up you know depending on the you know the hunter but one of my questions for you is what is you know you talk about the up and and my southern listeners uh, the vast majority of my downloads come from florida what what does the up look like hunting wise well where we are i mean so we're in the southwest tip of the up and um it's like literally like a cedar swamp bottom i mean so our property up there is 240 acres and it's probably 180 acres of cedar swamp so i mean 
I killed uh I've I've killed like three bucks up there in my whole life and one of them was in two thousand and eighteen. Um missed a bigger buck. Went into uh an area where I had scouted in the rain, just walking around and I, I said, You can kill a deer here. I went there. Well, that's a spot of our property where nobody ever goes because there isn't there's no good access. It's just, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, if you've ever been in like a cedar swamp or I would imagine it's like a bog, like it holds water, but it looks like a rainforest. Like there's really, really thick canopy. And you got to understand like, you know, when we're up there, it's in the fall. So you're, it's either raining or snowing. And so it's super quiet because of like all the moss and um, all of the, I mean, unless there's water, I mean, it's super quiet because of, you know, like say moss, like all of the pine needles or cedar, you know, these deer are eating cedar. There isn't like any sort of like destination food source or anything. It's just, I mean, it's just dark, um, super easy to get lost that's why not a lot of people go back into those areas you know w- without the advent of onyx i mean th- that six point that i killed i killed 500 yards from a creek with a bridge and i mean we were we had ended up driving a four-wheeler to the to the bridge and uh, my father-in-law was standing there with a with a headlight and even at some points we even with the light going like you couldn't even see it. It was so thick and dense. And I mean, it, it's a spooky place. <laughs> I mean, I'd like I say, I'd, I'd imagine it's like that, you know, down in the, the swamps of Florida or, or whatever. But I mean, and, and up there, there's, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. So it's devoid of light. Like, so have you ever been in a place? I mean, obviously, like when you were out in Colorado, when you get to a place where there's no ambient light, I mean, it gets dark, dark. Quick. We're, you're Quick. not seeing anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, when the sun goes down, the day's over. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, that's the, that's the weird thing about those areas is when like, when the sun goes down, you're, you're shut down. You may have a lamp, you may make a fire, you may eat dinner, but you're going to bed at seven o'clock. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've got areas that are similar to that in degree of like getting lost, uh, Tupelo gum swamps and cypress swamps around here. You can wade through for days and in the daylight you can, you know, notice a tree and, and, and make your way back in there. But it is ridiculously easy. It, once the sun goes down or if the sun's already down when you get out there to get mixed up and on and <clears throat> all your mapping softwares i've found i haven't found one that does better with this struggles with the tree canopy so you think you might be going the right direction and all of a sudden it picks you up and pings you you know 100 yards in the opposite direction You're like oh my god <laughs> oh yeah i mean so that's one of the things for me and it doesn't matter you know we use base map and um i've used onyx in the past and i haven't seen it be that much different but Man, that little arrow, I don't trust that arrow no. at all, ever, no. ever, ever. <laughs> oh, well, all I do is I say, okay, I'm pretty sure I need to go this direction, and I'll walk 100 yards, and then I'll see where my tracker went, and then I'll go off of that. And so, you know, John makes fun of me because all my tracks look like ZZ Top. Like, it's just like, but it's that's the reason is because I'm, you know, I'm just navigating that way. But, like, where we're at in the UP there, our property is is a situated in such a way that 
you know, I was always taught if you get lost, just head south because you'll hit the road. From the one half of our property, if you were to go north, if you were to miss your whatever and, and end up heading north, it's three miles to the nearest road. So, yeah, nice, except for like, I mean, I've tracked deer down in there where you're like crawling underneath this stuff. And then, and then, then now really, where are you? Where did you crawl to get there? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's big woods. <laughs> we'll say what I, what I do is I have, um, a little pocket compass, little, like cheap little pocket compass. And when I get to where I'm going, I'm like, okay, I think of it very, I'm sure you were actually taught how to navigate. I, I have a redneck way of going about it. It's actually one of the things, uh, we're going to include in the woodsmanship series is how to like best utilize compasses and stuff like that because it's, it's needed. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll turn on Onyx maps, leave it, uh, you know, North facing. And I'm like, okay, I need to go basically due West and then cut down South and I'll just use the compass. And I'll just start walking due west until, you know, the onyx picks up and says, yep, you're about where you need to make your left. And then I'll make a, you know, cut cut south and, and, and go where I'm going. Because you're right. You get In fact, in November when uh, I killed my buck, the morning before, uh, the morning before I killed the, the November buck down here in Florida, I got turned around and somehow landed um, – and somehow landed on the path I expected him to come down. I'm like, oh, crap. Well, you know, I'm only 80 yards from the tree now, but this is where I expected him to come. So I followed the path through so that I wouldn't make too much more noise. Um, he ended up coming down the path anyways. But, I mean, I swore I was – I mean, with utter – if you had been like, Walter, we're going the wrong way, I would have told you to shut the hell up and just and keep walking. And I would have had to eat crow afterwards. But, um, you know, I, I've grown up in swamps. I duck hunted in swamps and you know my entire life, and I can still get twisted up. It gets, it gets thick and dark in there and everything looks the exact same. Well, I'll tell you this, and this, I mean, so long ago and in times before, like I was in, in the Marine, so I learned how to navigate a little bit there. But, um, what I do is I look and say, okay, whatever direction I need to go. And then I pick a tree, you know, and, and by not looking down at my feet, I, I don't tend to go one way or the other. I try and pick a tree and I try to get to that point and then I reassess and then I pick another tree and go, go to there and, and, and go to the next one. Um, because that allows you to kind of keep on the, on the path that you're, that you're hoping to go. go sure. On. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's different if you're hunting private land or a really dense area. Sometimes I am not a fan of flagging tape. I hate flagging tape. I hate bright eyes. I hate stuff like that. In fact, I am the guy that takes it down. So if you're missing flagging tape, and you, it, it, I've probably taken it down because I, I just, to me, it's littering. I don't want to walk through the woods and see that. But in some of those di- super dense swamps, I have like every 200 yards put like a bright eye, and I'll just, you know, <laughs> I'll cut, I'll cut the 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 light on, and shine it out there, and like ping, there's the bright eye. Okay, I'm gonna walk in that direction. Um, but I try and keep it to a minimum, and then once I'm familiar with it, I pull them all back out on my way out. But uh, you know, sometimes you, you only have a couple of days on public land and that's really not a whole lot of time to get familiar with a swamp, you know? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. but what, what's the deer herd like in Michigan? Is it anything like Wisconsin and your other Midwestern, na- uh, uh, neighbors? Um, I mean, we got a lot of deer. It's, there's no, no, no bones about that. It's just, uh, we don't do a very good job of managing for, for size. I don't think, um, but I mean, there's, uh, I, granted I've, I've been 
you know, fortunate enough to talk to a lot of the guys that came to Michigan on the public land challenge from, you know, the hunting beast and the hunting public and, you know, tethered and, you know, everybody said that they were, you know, we had a lot more deer than they expected. They didn't have a problem seeing deer. Uh, but the deer that they were seeing, you know, a two and a half year old deer here in Michigan is nothing like a two and a half in Wisconsin. Um, you know, so that that I think would be the biggest uh, difference between all of our neighboring states. You know, some of southern Michigan has bigger deer, but the further north you go, um, where back in the day, you know, the UP used to, that's where they used to kill all these big deer. Well, you know, between winter kill wolves you know all of that um the deer herd up there is struggling where down downstate um you know they're kind of with a lot of more private land and ag and stuff like that they're they're getting some bigger deer downstate but not uh the further north you go not exactly although we do have like some mandatory antler point restrictions that are that are producing some pretty pretty big deer um, I guess midway through the lower peninsula. And I mean, it's, I don't know. We're, we're not, uh, in Ohio, Wisconsin or Kansas, anything like that. Well, what do you, th- what's your opinion on, on the, the minimum antler restrictions? Cause I assume they apply to, you know, all lands, right? Not just public. Correct. Um, so like Michigan, has like a mixed bag so in this area you can shoot this in this area you can't over here you can shoot this oh it's a cwd zone you can shoot anything you can use any weapon you can use anything um you know we're we're kind of bipolar schizophrenic on our ideas for managing like it's like wherever it's convenient at the time um type thing um, and without like going on like an hour long rant, it's one of the frustrating things. So personally, my take on it is, um, I would love for Michigan to be a one buck state. You can shoot whatever you want to, whenever you want to, however you want to. Now that does kind of go against what I believe as far as like the turkey hunting thing, because it's like, you know, once you kill your buck, you're done. So, and with, um, you know, revenue, tag sales, all this stuff. I don't think that that's a very good option. And the data shows that, you know, only, you know, like probably less than 20% of hunters actually kill two bucks. So, you know, we'd just be forfeiting that, that money. Um, so my very um, uninformed and unscientific answer to that would be to double the price of the 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 tag and we don't have mandatory reporting here in michigan so um you know they say that's a great system but uh, you know i don't know how you could be as accurate as a mandatory reporting um they say you know they're not going to do it but anyway my my take would be to double or increase the price of a single tag for michigan for your first buck and you can shoot whatever you want to and then once you shoot that first buck you can go and get it registered and then you have it goes on your record and you can then buy a second tag um because that would allow youth hunter you know part-time hunter whatever to kill whatever they want it would 
um, one of the other issues that we have in Michigan, in my mind, is that if you kill, uh, so you, you get two tags, but the second one has to be four on one side. The problem there is that they give you both tags at the beginning. So if I shoot like I did this year, an eight point or, you know, four on one side, I can use my restricted tag on that one. And then the last day of the season, I could shoot a spike if I still had a tag burning a hole in my pocket, which is not what their intention was. It doesn't change anything so much, but the, I think the thought being is that four on one side is harder to get. Therefore, with your second tag, you would be more selective. So this way, if you bought your first tag first and then you earned essentially your second tag, you shoot a, a eight point on your first tag, then the second one is a restricted tag only and it must have four on one side. So then you can't shoot that spike on the last day. Um, that's my own personal like way I think that it should go. But, and, and, and if they were worried about revenue and if they were worried about costs and they were worried about everything else, you know, they could give you that second tag for $5 or whatever once you went and bought it. So you could, our tags I think are like $40. So they could charge $40 for the first tag and $5 for your second tag. And I don't think anybody would be all up in arms about that as it being like a money grab. They wouldn't lose any revenue. You know, they'd actually gain revenue because some people just buy a single tag. But that's the way that I would go about it, just simply because, you know, the antler point restrictions are cool, except for, I mean, it's for growing bigger deer and creating this, you know, genetics and deer herd and blah, blah, blah. But you got, you know, 80-year-old guy with cancer out there with his kids for his last hunt, and he can't shoot the six-point that's in front of him, or, you know, somebody trying to get into the the sport only seeing deer that he can't shoot. Um, and, and so I, I see all sides of it. Um, but I think that there's a better way to do it. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the combination, like you just said, is actually pretty clever. Florida, you can shoot in Florida. There's a baseline. Like every area is like two on one side with a 10 inch main beam or three on one side and then one side and all this stuff. And that kind of annoys the snot out of me because, you're defining what the baseline hunt is for everybody. And, and I, and I understand people, especially anybody who lives in the Midwest is thinking two on one side is difficult. Well, frankly in Florida. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I see, it, it seems like there's a lot of like very questionable close deer. And I, uh, I, I always follow the letter of the law. So I end up letting a lot of deer go, um, because of it. And I understand that's the purpose, but my, my issue is if you create a floor, then you've defined it for everyone, and the and and for guys who just want to go out there and punch a tag or two, and they and their hunt isn't defined by antler size. You've restricted that for for those individuals. I'm also with you in that. Um, depending on the herd and what your management goals are, I think the two bucks one on having four on one side is what Georgia does. I think that's a pretty good rule um, because I think most people. Probably, if you look at it, probably most people shoot the smaller buck first because the larger buck is probably harder to come by, right? And and if you're a guy that's holding out for a four point, you're probably not going to bust a spike at the tail end of the season. But I like your idea. I think that I think that's neat, especially if, uh, you know, 
what you're saying is that second one has to be four on one side. If you happen to kill an eight point, you can't just go out and shoot a spike. I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a plenty equitable system as well. I, I think you should have to buy each tag as well, especially in Florida, because you get five buck tags. You should have to buy each one of them. Hmm. Yeah. But I also I think mean, you should be able to shoot does in this in, in, in Florida as well. I'm I'm not a biologist. I'm just a Me either. disgruntled no. hunter. You know, I'm just a so, professional so. podcaster with uh, some editing capabilities. That's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome for all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny. It, yeah, it, it's funny. Adam and I. I bet you it depends on the month, but I bet you we go periods where we talk like every day, bouncing off ideas. I turned. I think I turned you on to the Simon Sinek books, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a good read. You've enjoyed those. You've you've called me up and been like, "Hey, man, have you ever heard of the word compression?" And so my podcast audio went to a, a next level uh, thanks to him. So it, it's been a good relationship, man. And I, I really one day um, it, it's unfortunate, but we we have been internet friends for going on four years now. I haven't had the chance of of hanging out with you, but no, that's not true. So Walter has had plenty of chances. Walter is cheap. He is so cheap. He he looks at things from the dollars and cents, man. And like, if I, I, you know, he mentioned these the Simon Sinek books, right? So if he'd actually have read them or listened to them or like applied them, is that it's like dollars shouldn't matter. It's like relationships and the whole like whatever your goal is. Uh-huh. At the end of the day, like it'll all work itself out, man. It's just money. It's yeah, just it is. Money. It is. It is. And but he's cheap. He has plenty <laughs> of opportunities, and he just says, "No, you know what? It's not worth it for me." What's my return on investment? But he doesn't look at things from the terms of, you know, if we were to actually look at the return on investment for uh, hunting and the things that we do in podcasting, like we would never do any of it. Right. You know. Yeah, it's, that stuff is not quantifiable. Yeah, and and he's right. We did have a conversation about that, and uh, it was basically either have money for 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 hunting or have money to go to ATA. ATA. And so for me, um, you know, I let you guys go off and have your uh, shenanigans. You got to to meet Adrian and figure out what his middle name is, which I think I still don't know what Adrian's big A's middle name is. Um, I but, think his middle name's Adrian. I don't think you know his first name. Oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is. There <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I am, I am fortunate in that uh, since in the five years I've been podcasting, uh, my budget has has grown significantly, and so I am looking forward to uh, meeting you at ATA, maybe doing some of these Midwest shows. That's kind of one of the things that I kind of want to do like a podcaster summit, to be honest with you. I'd like to, to get, get some of the hunting podcast guys together and kind of, uh, network and talk about, uh, the direction of things and share information. I think that would be a a fun thing to do as well. Amen. I'm in. (laughs) It's just money. It's just money. That's right. Oh man, well my my time is has come to its conclusion which I I wanted to stop this at 45 minutes just to mess with you just just for the sheer irony of that but uh tell everybody where they can hear everything Bowhunter Chronicles. Well, I mean Bowhunter Chronicles podcast we're everywhere you just have to I mean if you like podcasts, you know, we're we're on that platform. If you're in India, we're on Ghana. Um, it's one of our bigger platforms matter of fact um but uh i mean there's just so many out there um yeah and our youtube we're doing more stuff with 
with YouTube, um, as Walt kind of alluded to in the beginning, like you have to know what a podcast is to kind of search right. out and find one. Um, so YouTube is like the number two search engine in the world. So we're doing more stuff on YouTube. Yep. Um, so, you know, and you can go to our website, bonercronicalspodcast.com. Um, we're actually giving away a bow. Um, and this is just, uh, again, back to just rub Walt's nose in it. Um, <laughs> it's just money, right? So we've been doing this podcast for, for four years. We have some Patreons. We have, uh, you know, some uh, small um, advertising deals and, and stuff like that. But, you know, we haven't given away a bow and I mean, I think that's kind of like the the number one entry thing to bow hunting is you gotta gotta have a bow. Um, so we're giving away a Bowtech Carbon Zion um, carbon bow, probably the best budget bow out there. I mean, it's a it's a great great bow. I've been uh, touting the the Carbon Icon. This is just the next version of that. I hunt with uh, Diamond Deploy. Um, I've hunted with the Carbon Knight. Um, I'm going to be shooting the same bow this year. HHA has given us uh, one of their uh, single pin Tetra Max sights. So this is their, you know, kind of like a flagship single pin sight um, on there. And then a rest, we're setting it up. John, um, my co-host is going to set everything up, putting that all on YouTube. And you can just go to our website and on the right hand side, there's a, a email list. You just sign up for that and you're entered to win. Um, so you don't have to be a Patreon. We do a lot of Patreon giveaways. Um, we give away, I mean, Walt says we give away too much stuff. He can't keep up. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we're just all about giving back and getting people, you know, um, you know, empowering people really to just go out and, and hunt and have fun and sure. you know, forget about the industry and forget about everything else. So, yeah, bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. Check them out, guys. It's an awesome podcast. I give Adam hell. He gives me hell. It's it's, it's a great relationship. I'm lucky to, to have found a, a select group of people like him through doing this podcast. And, dude, I, I appreciate you taking time out your your day off. Uh, I don't know if it's rainy there. It's rainy here today. But uh, your day off and, and, and chatting with me, buddy. No, it's bright, sunny, and seven. Bright, um, sunny, so and seven. It's a really nice day to be Bright, inside. sunny, and seven. Good Lord. I think it's 70 degrees here today. <laughs> so. All right, bud. All right. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.